Um, just before I speak this morning, Sean is going to come and share with us our uh, reading for today. Good morning. Uh, we're reading from <clears throat> sorry, reading from uh, one John four verse seven. Okay, it's, it's entitled God's love and ours. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, he also we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Fantastic. Thank you, Sean. So, uh, last week Steve kicked us off on this brand new series that we're doing for the next few months entitled We Are Church. And the idea behind that title is that the church isn't a place where we go, but the church is who we are. It's who we are as the gathered people of God. And it's an opportunity for us to talk about what we believe it means to be church. And when I say we, I don't just mean me and Steve. I mean you guys as well, because I trust the conversations are continuing um, in your life groups in the week. And Steve mentioned that the series is going to be partly discovery, and it's going to be partly declaration. So in other words, we're going we're gonna to start by looking at what does the Bible teach us? What do we learn from Scripture about what it means to be church? Um, and then we're going to say, well, what does that look like for us here at Tamworth Elim? And so we began last week by declaring that we at Tamworth Elim are a Jesus-centered church. Jesus is paramount, top of the pops, king of the hill, best of the best, and all the rest of it. And our aim as a community of believers is to grow to be more like Jesus, to learn more of him. Um, and as we do so, as we display more of the love and the character of Jesus, and um, we believe that we'll become more attractive. You know, not physically, but as a church. And really, this week's declaration, uh, where I want to move us to today, it flows out of that first one um, of being like Jesus. And it's that we are um, a loving church. And, you know, if we're going to be coming more like Jesus, then that is going to involve becoming more loving. So what do we mean by loving? Well, this past Tuesday was, of course, St. Valentine's Day. Um, out of interest, how many of you at least received a Valentine's Day card? It's sort of a show of hands. Yeah, that's quite worrying. That's not very many of you at all. I'm concerned about the lack of romance in this, in this, in this church. Not that I'm one to talk, particularly. Our, our school used to have uh, one of those boxes where everyone would put the Valentine's Day cards in and then they'd be given out to people in the class, and I never got one. Not a single one, no. no. Sorry. So, just give me a minute. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> See what a loving church we are. <laughs> I'm talking 
I'm talking more, of course, of something a bit deeper and meaningful than, than romantic love, something a bit more than a 2.99 box of chocolates brought at the garage on the way home. Um, and our reading today that, that Sean read to us was from 1 John, which is a book written by John, and John was one of the, the uh, apostles of Jesus, one of his 12 disciples. And most of what John writes in, his, in the book 1 John, he takes directly from Jesus. And we know this because he's previously told us about what Jesus said in his other book, which is also called John. Um, your Bible actually contains four books, five books, four books called John. There's John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then Revelation, which is also written by John, um, 4 John, if you like. Um, but in defense of John, he didn't name his books. Um, my guess is if he'd been pushed for a name, he'd have called his gospel Jesus, and he'd have probably have said it was written by the one who Jesus loved. Because that's how he refers to himself in his gospel. And I'll come back to that shortly. 1 John, however, that we read from today is a letter, and it's written to churches. It's written to house churches in particular. That's how the church was organized in the early days. And it contains, among other things, a sermon on how we are to be loving. And that's why we're looking at it today. So it starts this way. 1 John 4, verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God, because God is love. God is love. What does that mean? Well, it means that if we're to understand this morning what God, um, what love looks like, then we need to look first at God. And I think it's important because I think we live in a world which has, has largely misunderstood what it means to be loving. Somewhere in the course of history, we've moved away from this God sense of love onto something else. And it's almost as though instead of God being love, love itself has become a kind of God to us. And there's all these different ideas of, of what love should look like that we see. And sometimes um, people see love as a, a kind of currency. And this idea of it's what you give, it's what you get. And so being loving is all about trying to balance the scales and making sure we've received as much as we've given. And, you know, we might need to withhold our love for a time if, uh, if that's not the case, the balance addressed. For others, you know, love is just this absence of conflict. As long as there's no conflict, it's love. And they, people then spend their days trying to avoid any kind of conflict. And when it comes along, they don't know how to deal with it in a, in a loving way. For others, love is about unqualified acceptance. This idea that if you love someone, you have to accept them exactly as they are. And the danger here is that any criticism of character or choices leaves people feeling unloved. For others, love is about feeling desired. A poet once wrote, love is the irresistible desire to be irresistibly desired. And for these people, loving is all about making ourselves desirable, doing anything we can to make ourselves feel desired. For others, love is about physical pleasure. And the amount of love that you feel is measured by the amount of pleasure that you experience. And for others, it's just about feelings or emotions, your emotional state. And the danger, I think, with all of these different ideas of love is that we end up defining God by this idea of love rather than looking to God for what our idea of love should be. So this morning I want to just explore that and I want us to come back to this idea of a God-centered love, which we get from the person of Jesus. Listen to how John continues in verse 9. 
He says, this is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And you see, for John, God's love was shown to him in the person of Jesus. John was someone who was profoundly moved by the love that Jesus had for him. So much so that, as I mentioned to you earlier, John actually refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. Now, I'll be honest, for a long time, I think I viewed that as something of an arrogant statement on John's part. It's me, I'm the one he loves, me, no one else. But actually, as you read John's letters, I can't help but wonder if John has actually stumbled upon this new profound truth, even this new identity that he feels he needs to cling to. I am loved by God. I am his child. You know, at the start of chapter 3, he writes, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. You see, John knows that he's a child of God because he's met Jesus. And this is the love he's experienced through Jesus. Right at the very start of 1 John, this is what he writes. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at with our hands and have touched, we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it. We testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write to make our joy complete. And his agenda in writing his letter is that he wants everyone to join in with this experience of God that he's had through the person of Jesus. So what expression of love did John find in Jesus that so profoundly moved him? Let's just go back to verse 10 for a minute. This is what he said. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And there's three little points that I just want to pull out from this for you this morning. So the first one is this, this first bit that I've highlighted. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. The first thing we see about God's love, and in particular God's love, is that it's not dependent on our love. God didn't send Jesus to earth because we deserved Jesus to come to earth. We did not. We do not. Our constant rebellion against God means that we are in no way worthy to receive anything from him. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And to be a sinner is you know, a, a biblical way of saying that we are opposed to God. We are living in a way that is contrary to his will for our life. James puts it another way. He says that anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And God's standard and God's holiness means that we're in a position where we can never measure up. All of us, Paul says in his letter to the Romans, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But despite our profound and our consistent failure to live a life that is pleasing to God, he loves us anyway. And Steve spoke to us last week about how Jesus was in fact known to be a friend of sinners. 
He socialized with them. He ate with them. He drank with them. He even at one point said, I've come to seek and save the lost. I'm here to look for those people that are far away, those people that have turned their back on God, those people that don't deserve the love. I'm here to seek them out and to find them, to come to show them love. Let me give you um, an example from Jesus' life. If you've got your Bibles open, if you turn with me to Luke um, chapter 7, and I'm going to read from verse 36. It says, when one of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were people um, who had dedicated their whole life to following the law. Basically, they were trying to live the way that they thought God wanted them to live. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So tables were a lot shorter then. Um, and they would, people would sort of sit with their feet behind you and sort of lean and, and eat like that. Um, yeah, I won't get down. I'm going to get back up again. Um, verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. And then just skipping here slightly to verse 44. Then he, that's Jesus, turned towards the woman and said to Simon, that's the Pharisee, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. We'll just leave it there. So Jesus is eating at Simon the Pharisee's house, and this woman, who's described as sinful, just turns up uninvited. And the fact that she's described in the Bible as sinful, it tells us something. It tells us that she has, um, she has a rep. It's not a good rep. Um, in all likelihood, uh, most commentators believe that, that she was a prostitute. That's what she was known for in that community. And that would mean that she has um, little or no value in that society as a woman, and particularly as someone who sold herself in that way. She'd have been a social outcast. Simon, the Pharisee, wouldn't have wanted her anywhere near him, let alone in his house. I mean, what would the neighbors say? And yet here she is, pouring oil, which, by the way, would have normally been used on someone's head, and, and she's sticking it on his feet. She's crying her eyes out. She's letting her hair down, which again is a, a cultural no-no. And then she's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. She was a mess. I mean, this is embarrassing. This is not at all how Simon saw dinner going. Honestly, he's devastated. It's literally the most uncomfortable dinner party that anyone has ever been at. And Simon's expectation is that Jesus is going to jump up as soon as she walks in and say, Oi, what are you doing? Get off my feet. Go away. This is no place for you. But he doesn't. Instead, he accepts her as she is. Broken, messy, emotionally unstable, sinful, and far away from God. In fact, he goes even further. He commends her in front of Simon. 
And I need to say, you know, it doesn't mean that Jesus approved of her sinful life. He didn't, absolutely not. On another occasion, as a woman is caught in adultery, he, he forgives her and he says, go and leave your life of sin. Change the way that you're living. This isn't good. But he loves her despite her sin. He sees past the sin and he embraces her. And this is Jesus. And this was John's experience of Jesus as well. Um, John, along with his brother James, they were both called to be Jesus' disciples, Jesus' followers. And Mark, Mark tells us that he gave them a nickname. And the nickname was, was the Sons of Thunder, which we most likely think is a reference to their temper. Um, on one occasion, they were refused accommodation in a Samaritan village. And James and John, they actually, they go up to Jesus, the audacity of this, wait for it, they go up to Jesus, and they actually ask him, Jesus, would you like us to call down fire from heaven and destroy that village? That's what they say, you can read about it in Luke. John had absolutely no chill, okay? He was a liability. He was not somebody that you wanted delivering a message of love. Yet despite that, Jesus loved him anyway. And in so he went from being this son of thunder to being an apostle of love. And both the woman in Luke's gospel and John, they were changed through an encounter with Jesus. But that encounter only came about because Jesus was willing to accept them just as they are. And so this first bit is that, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He accepts us just as we are. And the second bit is that he sent his son. So what we learn from that is that God's love is a love that demands action. It requires doing something. God didn't remain distant and aloof. He didn't remain separated from his creation, but he steps out of heaven into our mess to help us out. In the words of 90s Christian rap trio DC Talk, Back in their day, there was a man who stepped out of heaven and he walked the land. He delivered to the people an eternal choice with a heart full of love and truth in his voice. He gave up his life that we may live. How much more love could the Son of God give? Here is an example that we ought to be matching because love is a word that requires some action. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's just that Steve always quotes hymns. And... <laughs> I didn't grow up on him. <laughs> oh, gosh. Right. Let's go back to Jesus. Let's go back to Jesus. Um, you want to flick over your Bible to uh, Mark 10 for me. Mark 10. I'll give you an example of love in action from Jesus. <sighs> um, so, Mark 10, I'm going to read from verse 46 towards the end of the chapter. Um, then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they, came, uh, they called the man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Okay, quite a simple story. Um, but there are two words in that story which have always really stood out to me, impacted me. And they're the words, 
Jesus stopped. At the start of the passage, we're told that Jesus is leaving Jericho. He's finished his work that he came to do in Jericho. And we know from earlier on in the passage that he's heading to Jerusalem. And it's about, um, it's about 18 miles. And of course, they traveled in foot on those days. So that's, you know, it's less than a day's travel. And then Bartimaeus, this blind guy, he hears that Jesus is close. And so he starts calling him. And the crowd, the crowd that are with Jesus, they're keen to crack on with the journey. You know, they want to get on with it. So they're like, oh, shut up, will you? Cut it out. We're trying to leave. Can't you see that we've got places to go, things to do? But Jesus stopped. And I think it's such a profound and, and simple and wonderful example of love that Jesus wasn't so focused on his own agenda that he failed to notice the needs of those around him. He was willing to be interrupted. He was willing to help out someone in need. And this isn't just a, a, a one-off example. This is the shape of whole, the whole of Jesus' ministry. He notices those people around him that have needs, and he does something about it. Even if that's something as simple as willing to stop. Love in action. God sent his son. And so this final bit then of the passage here is that God sent his son, but he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And God's love is the sort of love that requires sacrifice. In his gospel, chapter 15, John quotes the words of Jesus that were spoken to him. And this is what he says. He says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for one's friends. And I think that there can be no greater example of the love of God than the cross of Christ. An atoning sacrifice, that means that Jesus willingly died in our place, that he paid the price for us that we might find forgiveness from our rebellion against God. And you know, before Jesus went to the cross as he was preparing himself for all that he had to suffer and go through, he prayed to his Father and he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And he was prepared to set aside his own desires in order that we might be saved. And it wasn't easy. And it wasn't comfortable. It was hard. And it was painful. And it was gut-wrenchingly awful. But it was love. And this is the example of love that we are expected to follow. This is the love that so profoundly moved John when he said, I am the one he loved. I am the one that he willingly died for. That was me. And you know, when John writes to the church in, in 1 John, he, he has a name, he has a nickname for them as well. And um, unfortunately, the NIV that, that we've been reading from today, it, it just renders it as dear friends, but it's not the word he uses. The word he actually uses is the word beloved. You are beloved. You are loved by God. You are the ones that Jesus died for. And so verse 7, um, where we started, it actually reads, Beloved, let us love one another. You who have been loved, let us love. And verse 11 reads, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. You are beloved. You are loved to death. Not your own, but Jesus. And so we love sacrificially. Even at times setting aside our own comfort. I'm nearly finished. 
I'm aware this morning that I've done um, way more discovery than I have declaration. Um, I haven't really told us yet today what this looks like for us here at Tamworth Elim. And, you know, the main reason, firstly, the main reason that I haven't done that is because actually I think we as a church are very good at this. I think this is a wonderfully loving community that we belong to. You are people that do care about the marginalized. You do notice the needs of people around you. And you do give, I know so many of you give so sacrificially of your time and your energy to show love to people around you. And honestly, I feel humbled to be a part of this community. I find myself constantly inspired by the small and not even that small, large acts of kindness and love that I see amongst you every single day. And secondly, the reason I haven't done much declaration is because what I hope I've done in some way is teach some principles of God's love, which you can apply to any situation, both inside and outside of church. So let me instead, let me just leave you with three questions. Three questions based on those principles, which I hope will challenge us further. Because we can always go further, can't we? We can always do more. We can always be more loving. So the first question is, are we accepting of everyone? Romans 15 verse 7 says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. And I worry that today the church tends to be known more for what it's against than for who it's for. And I'd like us to do something about that. I want this to be the kind of church where anyone can come and be amongst us and walk through the doors and feel accepted, feel welcomed, feel loved here. It doesn't matter how they look. It doesn't matter about their, their marital status, their sexuality, what they're wearing, um, their past, their history, whether they've got tattoos or not, whether they've got hair or not, whatever. I want people who come here to feel accepted and welcome. And I want us to make sure that we are being those people that welcome folk in. You know, if we want Jesus to change lives, we need to begin by accepting people just as they are. People need to belong before they believe. And we really, really believe that here. Even if they're a mess, even if they're emotionally unstable, even if they come in crying all over your feet. The second question is, do we notice the needs of others around us? We're a very busy, busy church. Everybody is so involved, and I'm so thankful that everyone is. And we, you know, we celebrate at the start of the year the volunteers here at this church and there was well over a hundred people there because we all want to get involved and we all want to help run the ministries of this church but I just want us to not be so absorbed in what we're doing that sometimes we might miss the people that are around us and I never want to appear myself so busy that people um, don't feel that they can stop me and talk to me about their lives and about what's going on in their lives I want to be like Jesus in that I want to be someone who stops who notices people and notices the needs of people around him and finally is our love sacrificial are we the kind of people uh, that say to God not my will but yours God or are we the kind of people that say to God not my will but yours God after I just deal with this and then go over there and sort that out and then fix that and then check there's nothing good on the TV tonight and then maybe after 8 o'clock do we have a sacrificial love towards those around us because we are God's beloved children this morning. Do you know that? 
Maybe, I mean, maybe this morning you don't know that. Maybe you're someone who has never really thought about um, the love that Jesus, that God has for you. Maybe you've really thought about the sacrifice that Jesus made for you on the cross. Maybe that's, you're not even sure what that love looks like. Maybe you're one of those people earlier on, as I was describing those different views of love, you thought, that's me actually, and I want to experience this God love. And I just encourage you this morning to pray a prayer to God, to ask God to come into your life, to receive the forgiveness that Jesus has for you, that he achieved for you on the cross. I would encourage you to do that this morning and tell someone that you've done that so that we can pray with you. But for the rest of us, I hope that those questions just provide you with something of a challenge about how we can continue to be the loving church that we are. I wonder if the band want to come up and I'll just uh, pray for us before we close.